So I'm like about to go through divorce. I have terminal cancer. It's pandemic. It's 2020. It's the, and I say, let's go, baby. <laughs> I'm a better myself, trusting God. And to be where I am today, it's easy to say I do successful, but it was a lot of lonely, dark nights getting here, you know, over these last three years. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. Let's get into today's episode. Bruce Miller is an independent car dealer from New Orleans and the owner of Miller Motors. He's been in the automotive industry for 22 years. In this conversation, we discuss going from living in the streets to selling $150,000 worth of cars per month, raising capitals from friends at church, losing 85% of his income, acquiring stakes in other car dealerships, and owning the subprime auto loan market in his town. This was a wild conversation unlike any other that I've had on the pod before. I hope you enjoy it. And please don't forget to let me know what you thought about the episode by leaving a comment on X, LinkedIn, Instagram, or YouTube. Before we get into the show, this episode was brought to you by Cars Commerce. The platform to simplify everything about buying and selling cars. I talk a lot on this podcast about how complicated and disconnected our industry can be with so many different moving parts. So as a Cars.com and Dealer Inspire customer of many years, I was excited to hear Alex Vetter announce his team's vision to simplify dealership technology as Cars Commerce. If you missed it, they've been connecting the most valuable audience from their Cars.com marketplace with innovative technology and media solutions, such as Dealer Inspire, AccuTrade, and their newly formed Cars Commerce Media Network. So now this platform means you can work with one partner to advertise to consumers you know are in the market, guide them through a seamless customer experience from online to in-store, and quickly build a differentiated reputation in your market. Simple. That's what we need to improve the customer experience and future-proof local retailers. Go to carscommerce.inc or visit the link in the show notes below to see how you can simplify your business and grow profitability. This episode is also brought to you by Podium, the lead conversion platform for car dealerships. Podium helps you get found at the top of Google search and convert new leads faster with industry-leading communication tools and AI. With Podium, you can finally take the guesswork out of lead management, bring every lead into one unified inbox, respond automatically in two minutes or less, and even book appointments using AI. Get Podium and get ready to convert leads faster than ever and see why over 100,000 businesses like yours have given themselves an instant advantage with Podium. Get started today with 10% off your plan by texting Car Dealership Guy to 833-441-1166. That's 833-441-1166. Text that number and mention this podcast to get 10% off your plan or visit the link in the show notes below. Yeah, just uh, grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. You know, childhood wasn't the greatest. Uh, I had two alcoholic parents, alcoholic uncles, drug addictions, you know, just only child. Man, just like trying to survive. I think I went to like eight or nine different schools. I was always moving to new neighborhoods. That was the cheapest rent. We lived somewhere for six month move. I went to bunch of different schools. And um, man, my, so the getting through my childhood was just typically, it was literally surviving it. You know, my mom was had me when she was 15. My dad was like an abusive kind of like guy, not a really good person. So I just never really had like love. I didn't have that loving family, you know, that doting mother or the dad that I could, that would be proud of me. I just didn't have that, you know? So I was on my own in my home mentally for like a long time. I didn't really have people that they loved me, I guess, but they just didn't show it. So I was just always chipping my shoulder, trying to make up for that. You know, I got into adolescence, ran with the wrong crowd. I had friends that got murdered. I had friends that got 
10 years in prison, seven, seven years in prison, eight years in prison. I was at a location with a group of five friends and we got shot at and one of our friends got murdered. Easily could have been me. I kind of escaped any kind of like felony convictions and stuff like that. But uh, again, had to escape that part of my life. And then I, you know, kind of like found a church, found God, got married, very, very young, young family. And I got into the car business all in 2000, you know, car business, married, and my son was, my first son was born. So 21 years old, I'm a father, I'm in the car business. I'm just looking for an industry where I, I could make, you know, I sat down with an army recruiter and he said, oh, you can make 20 grand a year. And I said, a year? So I never <laughs> called him. <laughs> I'm laughing because like, I, I, you know, it's it's the bug when people come into the car business, they suddenly make like, you know, 150K, you know, as a salesperson or something. And then they go do some hourly job and they're like, what? No way. All right, keep going. I'm sorry to cut you off. Actually, a cousin of mine's wife says, man, I'm a receptionist of a dealership and you just like those salespeople. You remind me of those salespeople, you know? So I, she said, you should go apply for a car dealership. And then, so I walked in, uneducated, high school dropout. First time I ever had been in a new car dealership in my life. My, my parents drove used cars, hoopties, and um, applied for the job. I had to beg my way to get the job. They didn't hire me right away. What, what, job, wait, what job did you apply for at this time? 21 years old, you know, so I applied for a salesperson. Not like a port or a detailer, not like that. You know, I always had the gift for gap. I was always like a hustler, you know, so I was applied for a salesperson. They had a class of 20 people, and uh, I was the dead last one that I'm going to talk about the Friday before the class started on the Monday. I finally had to figure out how to like get to the guy, like go through the receptionist, hit the zero to get, you know, I had finally had figured out <laughs> after four days how to get directly to him. And then at three o'clock on a Friday, he was like, okay, man, uh, okay, you can start Monday, you know. When I got in that class, I could hear people tell stories. Man, he's been calling me for three weeks. Man, he's been on me for two months. I finally decided to come give it a shot. And I was like the last one in the class. You know, so that that was like my introduction to the car business. So now talk to me about your your team today. I mean, I have tons of questions, right? What what does Miller Motors look like today? You launched it two years ago. First year you did 725 cars retail. What does it look like today? Same kind of numbers. I'm only sitting on 0.85 of an acre. Same kind of numbers, but I have an excellent team. I have three technicians that make $35, 40 and $42 an hour. Like I, you know, Dude, I, 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 service- I, I don't even have to ask you numbers, man. You just, you're just coming out, coming out swinging with these numbers. So you're making my life easy. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's kind of my thing. I'm good, uh, good relationship with numbers. And I, I, I like telling the story. I love you know, the transparency. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I stated to say that I got three excellent mechanics. I have a service writer slash manager. I have uh, two detailers and uh, all these guys work in franchise stores in the city and they come to work for me. Why? So why? Why? And why they come to work for you? Why, why? Why'd that happen? Over 23 years in the franchise business, I've always been a straight up guy. I, I've never been a partier or the, I was just like faithfully married, good guy. When people would work for me, I would always be trying to like get them to go to church or do the right thing or I've got fired from jobs. I'm talking about high paying jobs because I didn't like the way they were treating the employee. And I, and I stuck my neck out for the, for the employee. And over a few months later, I, I ended up getting fired. But ultimately, it was because the way I wanted to treat people. I've promoted in my time in the franchise world over 20 salespeople into management. Three of those 20 salespeople that got promoted to manager are general managers now. Two, three used car directors, two, three GSMs. So I've always had a situations where I pour into people. You know, I, I give more in my relationship than I take. 
sometimes I don't get nothing back. You know, I'm just, so I have a great reputation. And why do you think that's, why do you think that's happened? Like, do you think that's just something, a byproduct of the life you've lived? Like, why, why do you give more than you get in your, given your, your background, your experiences, where it seems like at least early on, you kind of, you know, didn't get a lot. Why, how do you, how did that come out of you? I'm a great parent. I consider myself a great parent because I've watched how not to be a great parent by my parents. I'm a great leader because I've watched for 11 years, the first 11 years before I was a boss, you know, the boss of, you know, managing managers, I've seen terrible leadership. I've seen things that just didn't make sense. You know, I was a 23-year-old finance manager and I, I just seen things that didn't make sense at 23, but I was the backup finance manager. I wasn't in a position to make decisions. So when I got to be the boss, you know, like they say, there ain't no fun when the rabbit has the gun. When I got to be the boss, I put my people first under my leadership on the used car record at eight different stores in New Orleans. I managed this big Chevy store for six years. We were 63 and nine as far as first place in the city. And there's six Chevy dealerships within 30 miles, a very saturated market. We won every single month, you know, used car records in six, seven, eight stores that I manage. When I began to treat people right and I got these great results, then they added a few to the fire. I said, I'm, I'm going to continue putting my people first. I'm going to continue pe- treating people right. It's getting me the, the, res- the good results, you know? So that's kind of where that came from. I, I learned how not to treat people by how I was treated when I was coming up, you know? I learned how not to be a good parent by, by the way I was parented coming up. And so just, just I just looked at the situation and said, I'm not doing that, you know? When I get a chance, I'm not doing that. You've experienced that and you know, like you said, you know what not to do. That's that's very powerful. So tell me more about, you now have your independent store. You, you had two decades at least of experience in the franchise world, right? What was that like for you, right? Like going from the childhood you mentioned into the car business, right? Like how did that happen? What was it? Was it all money driven or was there anything else that's brought you into the car business and kind of helped you make a home? What was that like for you? I guess it started off as money driven, you know, at, at 21 years old, I, my first year in sales, I made like 60 something thousand. That's not like some story that other people have, but that was 20, 20 something, 23 years ago. And that $5,000 plus a month was more than anybody in my circle, my, my parents, uncles, my friends. And so it's like, man, I, I actually, I guess, man, I went through my life, childhood and everything and not really being valued, you're saying, or you're not really being loved. or And so finally, like, I was valued for my efforts. I was a grinder, hustler, I worked late, I would like aggravate all the managers. And then I was receiving income that was like, okay, good job. You know, like this is, you, you're saying I was almost valued. So the money never motivated me through the years. I needed the money. I put three kids to a private school and one of them went to you know, four years at Tulane University. I paid cash for all that. I never was like a hunting camp guy or a, a beach house guy or a boat boat guy. I was always grinding, you know. I had a vision early on that I wanted to own my own dealership. I I, I was different from everybody else. I was misunderstood. Who who's you know? who's everybody else? Are you talking about your friend group? No, no. My friend group I kind of like when I got married and had kids, I kind of stopped hanging with the friend group because I was focused on, on my family, you know, my family, church, raising kids. So I kind of like, I w- all I did was with my kids and work, you know? And so I didn't play golf on my off day with my buddies or learn, I even learn how to play golf because I was with my kids. I was at Chuck E. Cheese. I was at Chuck E. Cheese with my two, my two boys, you know? I never bought a boat. 
and a beach house and stuff like that because I coach my kids in travel baseball. I was in the car business as a sales manager. I would not accept not being able to do both, not, not being able to be there for my sons. And so what I did was at the dealership, I just worked really hard to get that time, that, that, to leave early on a Saturday for, the, for those games or to come in late on a Saturday for those games. So I felt like I owed the dealership. So I had to work hard to be able to do both the dealership and family. So the dealership and the money provided a good lifestyle for my kids. It provided, you know, advantages for my kids, educational wise. It provided like good vacations and things like that. So the results of the money is really what motivated more, more than the money. Mm-hmm. And so what got into you that, you know, after a couple of decades in the dealership world, as an employee, as a manager, you said, hey, I want to open up my own store. Like what happened? I was unsummarily fired without cause after being recruited away to be a managing partner of two stores. Now, look, you've been in the car business a long time. You interview a lot of people. Think about that. In my hometown, I'm a managing partner with 20% ownership in one store and 10% ownership in another store. That's a crowning achievement, man. That's like at, right at 40 years old, I get this achievement. You know, It's amazing. These two stores had eight people in the value of our operations combined. Two stores, big Hyundai store, big Audi store, had a total of eight people in the value of our operations. Over the course of a year, I rechanged advertising, broke every used car record that ever did, had 36 people in the vapor operations of these two stores, some of the best people in the city. And oh, wait, one second. This is where, where is this right now? What year are we talking about and what store? This is prior to me going into the independent world. This is like Got my it. last so, franchise. So this is the last, this is actually the last couple of years you're talking about. Yes, yes. Well, it's been three years that I've been in the independent world. So this is like about, you know, four years ago. June of 2020, as COVID was like just kind of taking place and the, 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 nobody really knew exactly what was going on. We, had, we all had had a good May, you know, because of the pent up demand, things like that. My partners let me go. Okay. They just called me in and said, look, it's not a good fit. We had countless arguments over people. They wanted me to fire people in March before the negative effects of COVID even happened. I'll kind of like just, we just didn't agree on so, so much stuff. They, they, they were older kind of legends in the car business in New Orleans. Everybody knows them, great guys, but we just, we just didn't see eye to eye. And I was let go. And I was sitting in this, you, you want to see how I got to the franchise? What, what happened to your equity? I had it on paper, but we, the money had never changed hands because they were suing their previous two partners. The previous two managing partners of both stores they were like in litigation, so they never, we never, they paid me the 20 and the 10 on paper, but I never gave them the money, luckily, because I guess it would have been hard to get the money back from them because they, they like the suit. So, look, it was an amazing opportunity. I jumped into it, like all gas, no brakes approach, but they were not good. They, they were not the best partners. Everybody that they end up putting in that managing partner role, they have problems, lawsuits, stuff like that. So, but I, I, I don't regret it because I learned so much and it, it was such a crowning achievement, like great on the resume type, man, look what I, I was able to accomplish. High school dropout, managing partner. So, so at this point, what happens that leads you to say, I want to open up my own store? What goes through your head? I had like, there's only four or five people to work for in New Orleans. And I had worked for them. But when I was putting this together, I was all in. All gas, no bricks. I went after the best of the best in the city of New Orleans. I, I alienated a few people taking their, their best employees because a lot of people want to work for me. And then I was just like, let go for no reason. 
I was I was performing at a fantastic. So I decided to myself, I no longer want to work for anybody else. You know, I, I marched to be in my own room. I'm very passionate about like what I believe. I feel I'm as gifted to to get back to having a new car franchise one day. And I said, at 41 years old, I said, this is the time I'm, I'm just starting that. I thought about the dealerships because, you know, GSM of one store in the city of New Orleans, a big Chevy store, the number one Chevy store in the city, for six years, I left to go be the general manager of a Nissan store, executive manager of a Nissan store, but also the vice president of operations for six stores for that group. I did that for like 13 months at high level, great success. And then I got recruited away to be this managing partner. So I, I had did like a lot of great stuff in the city of New Orleans in a short period of time. And I just, when I went to go look for a job, I talked to a few different people and they didn't want to pay me for my time. They, I bring the circus to town when I come. I bring the bearded lady, the, the trapeze, the elephants, the lions. I bring it all with me. You know, if you hire me for your store, I got it completely. And I'm turning around like that. So, so COVID was happening. Nobody needed the circus. Nobody needed a Bruce Miller. So I said, I'm going to open up my own independent. I thought about the five or six stores that I put GSM, the German managers, and, and they're all having success. They're kind of running my play. And I said, you know what? I'm going to just do that for myself. And so I went from making, people don't like to talk about money. I don't know why we don't talk about money, but I went to making $60,000 a month to taking a $10,000 guarantee at an independent lot. I went from managing partner of an Audi store and a Hyundai store at a little lot with a 1,200 square foot showroom with 40 cars out front for a guarantee of $10,000 because I I just, I believed in myself. What do you mean a guarantee of $10,000? Are you referring to money you're paying yourself? No, no, no. When I went to this independent, I wasn't a partner or nothing. I was, I, I went to go work for somebody's existing usual lot. And he says, Bruce, we'll guarantee you 10 grand. And they treated me like a partner from day one. They, you know, like on the, on the variable side, but they was only selling 20 cars a month. Got it. So at the franchise side, you were making $60,000 a month as a managing partner GM. And then that doesn't work out. You leave. You go to work at an independent store. At the independent store, suddenly you go from 60K a month to being guaranteed only 10K a month. The store's only doing 20 cars a month. They can't pay you that much. So, so what led to you opening up your own store then? I went there and had success. We did 45 cars in that little bitty location within 120 days. Situated bar cars, used my, my pool to add Ally Bank. Exeter, different banks. Store had been in, in business for 20 years, so they had all the financials, but they just didn't know the right connection. Changed the marketing, changed the advertising, brought good people to the little so, store. And you, and you hit on a key point here. So you're saying you brought your lending relationships. Yeah, yeah. yeah people, which I had been a, yeah, it's a respected huge, car guy. Huge unlock for any used car dealer. Correct. Adding Ally Financial when previously you was only using credit acceptance in Westlake, adding Ally Financial and adding, and then getting Exeter and you know, and then other lenders that follow suit, you know, because when you say, hey, I got out. What, what are the lenders that you bring? Just like CPS, a couple local credit unions that do uh, indirect lending and stuff like that. Just use my, you know, anybody, anybody who would accept an independent, I had the resume. They've been in business for you. They had, they had the financials. So we was able to get a bunch of banks. Mm -hmm. So how did you get to your own store after this? Did you leave this place or? I tried to buy a small, in, 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 while I'm working for that independent, I tried to buy a small Chevy store. The Chevy store was like $750,000 in a rural part of town. And to the common person listening to this podcast, that is the cheapest possible new car franchise. And it still costs millions of dollars. It still costs millions of dollars of capital. You have to have that 750, 
the dealership will require you to have a half, of, the manufacturer will require you to have a half a million dollars in working capital based upon a, a 50 car store that costs about half a million in working capital. You have to have a $4 million floor plan. You have to have millions of dollars of fallback or assets to get a $4 million floor plan. So even a damn near free dealership. So b- break that down for us again, right? So you looked at the Chevy store. 750K was the price just for the Blue Sky or the Goodwill and the franchise, correct? Correct. And yep. were you buying this from someone else? Like what was, where, how? Was, yeah, buying, yeah, buying it from somebody else. I had some backing and, and I'm going through the process. I didn't have exactly what it took. So the gentleman selling it to me, he had a partner and he says, look, me and you, he liked my plan. He said, me and you are just going to buy out my partner and I'll back you. So I went through that whole process, got, got the paperwork from General Motors, filled out all the paperwork, had four interviews with the, with the, the regional guy. They all knew me from my Chevy days. I got to the last step of just go, flying to Dallas and having a formal, formal interview. I was approved to be a Chevy dealer. And uh, that guy changed his mind. He didn't want to be financially responsible for no more. He ended up losing a franchise. And so I went through trying to, you know, we all car guys. We think, oh, I'm going to go buy a new car dealership. I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to go buy a new car dealership. Well, it takes way more money than you even can imagine to be able to obtain one, even a cheap one. This was like a raggedy location, raggedy building, worth nothing. It still costs millions of dollars. Yeah. And you said you would need $4 million on a floor plan. And again, for anyone that's listening, not familiar with the term, floor plan is pretty much industry term for inventory line of credit. Inventory line of credit. We don't pay cash for the cars, especially new cars. We finance them for a portion uh, we just pay interest only, basically. We pay interest only for a period of time until the car gets sold. Yep. So the new car thing fell through. Another gentleman in the city was going to try to buy two dealerships an hour away and was going to let me purchase 20%. We felt a day late and a dollar short of like getting that transaction. They sold it to the, the other person. So like the doors were being closed on what I wanted to do. So I just said, I'm going to go to this independent world. While I was Pursuing these new car franchises, I was working daily in that in that independent store, and I took them from 18, 20, a four-year average of 21 to a high of 45. You know, the, him and his partner was splitting 30 grand a month for years. That's just what they what they made. Now they're splitting 150,000. You, you know, so I said, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna open up a new car. I mean, an independent used car lot. About six months later, I found a building. How how did you find the building? Where'd that come from? New Orleans is very landlocked. We don't have, we are uh, a lot of bodies of water, like smaller area. It's not like Texas. It's not like, you know, we only have four and a half million people in the entire state. New Orleans has, the greater New Orleans area has barely over a million people. And so it really was just like, I looked at two or three locations. I wanted to purchase something, not lease it. Because at the end of the day, if you're operating a business and at the, the very little you're lease making that mortgage, you're winning, you know, you're paying something off, you know? Do you have the cash to do that? I found three gentlemen from my church, and I'm not afraid to say this. They put up a large amount of money, and I gave them a decent amount of equity. And I, that's how I was able to. I didn't, I didn't start with a rock bottom. I started with like a 6,000 square foot building on, on a nice, busy street, all concreted. I had a service department. I, when I started my business, I said, I'm, I don't want to start from a trail on a rock bottom. Many people start from a trailer and a rock lot and go on to be successful, but I, I, I don't want to wait two, three years. I wanted, I wanted it now. So I found some investors. I had to hustle. Look, if, if you listen to this podcast, you want to open up your own used collide and you need to try to find investors, well, you have to have a good reputation. 
You have to be known to work hard, known to have success. And these people are like, I've been going to church with for 20 years. They knew my successes and they had no doubt, no equivocation of giving me money because they knew they was going to get a return on the investment. That's how I started Miller Motors. And then as I was leaving Miller Motors, the, the gentleman at GNC said, hey, man, can you buy 25, 30 percent of, of this business and stay associated with it? Now, listen, we're only two miles apart. We're on the same street, two miles apart. So I explained to him, look, I'm not going to be there. And, you know, we, we, we went over in detail what the agreement would look like. He agreed. And it's been a beautiful relationship. So for two years, I've operated two huge clients about two miles apart. Miller Motors selling 55 cars a month and GNC selling 35 cars a month. It's been a beautiful relationship, so much so that we're opening a second used car lot. And so, yeah, so how much did you buy in for the, to the other dealership for? Can you share that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll tell anybody, 125000 You know, I gave him a blue sky. On a, nobody buys blue sky. Let me just tell you nothing. All gas, no bricks. You're going to hear me talk about that. You're going to hear me. Nobody pays Blue Sky for a used car lot because there's nothing proprietary. You're just going to open up your own used car lot. But this business had been 20 years. Me and this guy were becoming good friends. And I want, and he, was gonna, he was allowing me to like be just be an investor. And so I gave him 125000 And I, I have no problem saying this. I've made three times that money in two years. And what did you get in return for 125000 25%. Mm-hmm. So basically, this guy says, okay, you're going to open up down the street from me. You know, you're doing a great job. Like, you may squash me, you may not. Let me offer you to buy an equity stake in my company. So now you're running both stores, or you have a stake in both stores. And, you know, he wins, you win, everyone wins. Yeah, well, personnel. Every person that works there, I hire, all from the franchise world. So what happens is basically, I kept all his people in place that, you know, I managed them and and that marketing advertising, it's been a beautiful, like he just completed a $250,000 renovation on his store because it's his building, it's his store. I'm just an investor. It's been a beautiful relationship is what I'm trying to say. He, And from my perspective or anybody listening, how long would you have had to think about giving somebody $125,000 for a stake and a used car lot and you didn't know the finances, you, there's no guaranteed economic uncertainty, but I just wrote that check out of faith because I figured, my time is now. This is the right decision. And, and, and so I opened Miller Motors and wrote a check for that in that same year. So people could look at me now and say, man, look at this guy. He owns a couple of used car lots. He's just getting two more. Successful guy. Marches to the beat his own drum. Gets to wear whatever he wants to work. Man, Bruce is so successful. But would you have taken the $10,000 guarantee? Would you have turned down $400,000 plus a year jobs to go better on yourself Man, we all got this bravado. We all alpha males in the car business, right? But think about how much of an alpha male that I had to be to say, oh, yeah, and I got terminal cancer. I got, un, un, I got a weird cancer that I'll never be rid of, and I'll always be medicated or always have surgeries or always be trying to fight this cancer. I could have said, oh, yeah, and my wife decided to leave me. You know, uh, never cheat. I never cheated like that. She just decided to leave me. She got tired of the whatever, and she decided to, to leave me. So I'm like about to go through divorce. I have terminal cancer. It's pandemic. It's 2020. It's been, and I say, let's go, baby. <laughs> I'm a better myself, trusting God. And to be where I am today, it's easy to say I do successful. But it was a lot of lonely, dark nights getting here, you know, over these last three years. I can only imagine. God bless you. You've got some crazy strong willpower to fight through all this. Tell me about just like how you run your dealership. I just have some very tactical questions. 
right? Like, just let, let's start with floor planning. Like, who do you floor plan with? I floor plan with AFC. How, how does that work for you? Like, how much money did you have to put up? How much do you pay on, on, on the floor plan? What's your interest rate? I didn't have to put nothing up because I had good credit. My partners had good credit. They, they're older. They're worth, you know, millions of dollars. And so I didn't have to put nothing up. I started with a $600,000 on a floor plan at the other location. So again, I learned so much working down the street, working in that, you know, years ago, they uh, did, they got a floor plan with AFC and they, they said they don't want to pay interest. They want to pay a f- flat fee. So they got a, like a very, very good flat fee. And the AFC does offer this to people, flat fees. So when I opened up, I said, look, I don't want to pay interest either. So they gave me a flat fee. And I can't tell you how much money I'm saving with the interest rates going up and, and floor plans. Floor plan is closing used car lots across the country because they're paying $1,000 to finance a $30,000 car for two months. You know, How are you managing between the floor plan and your inventory turn right now? Like, have you, have you been moving cars quicker as rates have been rising and, you know, interest has been, you know, been more expensive to hold cars? How have you been managing that? Well, last few months have not been the greatest, right? So what, uh, what, what has it been the greatest? The business, you know, it just finally, like for the first six months of the year, the high interest rates and uh, the limit, the banks scaling back, you know, in the bad credit banks, secondary banks who cater to more people. Uh, reestablishing their credit are way less aggressive than they were six months ago because they're borrowing the money for way more than they've borrowed it in the past. So they have less margin. So they're just not buying as deep. And then, and then when I got to the summer months, the drop in used car values, the banks just like, like not buying as deep. We didn't have a great summer. Okay. Now we just finished a great October, really, really good October net profit wise, everything, but it was a tough summer. And so I had to scale back. I had to scale back. To answer your question, I was trying to stock 120 cars to force this, force me to get to 75 retail. Per month. Yes, sir. Franchise world, you can turn your inventory quicker. Independent, it's a little longer because it takes longer to get our cars out of service and stuff like that. You know, just, uh, I don't know. It just I haven't, I haven't turn, been the one-to-one guy yet or a 30-day turn yet since I've been open. So mm-hmm. why are you saying it takes longer to get cars out of service and independent? Are you just alluding to the fact that independents may buy cars that need a little bit more reconditioning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 80,000, 80, 100,000 miles is, I've got some nice pieces out there that with less miles, but my bread and butter, what I sell is a 20,000 on a car, 100,000 miles that, that the banks like. I buy the cars the banks like. I don't buy the cars the bank doesn't like. And that's my like bread and butter. So yeah, those cars take longer to get serviced. I only have three technicians and in four bays. So inherently it's longer. The dealership might have uh, 12 bays, you know, and maybe five used car techs or something like that. So from the purchase of the auction to frontline ready, unfortunately it's taking like 14 days, you know, so that's the car is dropping in value. And, and so uh, long story short, to answer your question, what I had to do to handle my floor plan and things like that is I had to stock less cars. So I, I didn't buy a car for six weeks. The beginning of October, uh, beginning the end of September to toward the end of October, I didn't buy a car for six weeks. And I just sold what we had and got down because when the end of the floor plan comes and you have to pay cash for the car, that's just a terrible thing for business. Okay. To have that car a hundred days old and you, you paid it off in cash. So you're taking yeah, working so capital. Out. You're, you're referencing if you're holding onto a car for too long, 
and it hasn't sold yet, right? You have to make these curtailment payments to the lender. And essentially, you're, you're, you're saying that if you hold that car too long, you have to pay it off with your networking capital now. And it's a huge drag on the business. Huge drag on the business, and it causes people to go under because you have paid off cars that you can't take to the auction. Because another thing that people don't really realize, independents typically do not fare well at the auction. Especially all the local auctions where they say, oh, man, Bruce is selling 55 cars. Yeah, you can take to the auction. You're just going to lose your pants. Right. They're not going to step up and buy my car like they would from a new car franchise. Because there's more faith in buying a huge car from a new car franchise. Yeah, reputation. Yeah, we had a great discussion about that on my podcast with uh, Holland's Head. We talked all about this. Okay. So I got to reach out a lot of them. You only have so much working capital. And then you look and you're like, where's the money at? Well, it's all sitting on the lot. And so... I got dangerous pretty low, and I had to like force the sale of those cars. And we, my team responded. We did 56 last month. We had a year-over-year increase. 56 is a big number for an independent. I beat most new car franchises and used car sales in this area. I beat every independent in this area. You know, for New Orleans, Louisiana, if it, somebody listening in Texas, they might say 56 is not a big number. But for New Orleans, Louisiana, that's a, that's a big number. And uh, I sold so many cars that I had like 8,000 in curtailments on. So many cars that were paid for cash and replenish my working capital. And and, and, and who's your average customer? Like wh- what's the average interest rate they're paying? Is it all deep subprime, subprime? Like where, where are you at? Yeah, yeah. Probably average interest rate is in the teens, you know? I mean, like what? average High interest teens? rate on a new car. Yeah, average interest rate on a new car, as as you always document, is damn near 10% now. You know, it's, it's creeping up there. So on a used car with 80,000 miles, four-year-old car, 18%, 17%, 16%. That, that's kind of like on more, more often than not, that's, that's, that's what my customers pay. You know, I have a whole piece about this that I could talk hours on. The reason we sell so many subprime cars is because the new car dealerships do not want to mess with. A consumer may say, I'm buying the car for 18000 Okay. And that's my internet price on a car. If you have good credit or go to your credit union or pay cash, I get the whole 18000 If you have bad credit, I am paying a $2,000 bank fee from that sales price. It's hard for you to imagine, but no, I am taking from my front gross to help buy, buy the deal for you. That's in essence what's, what's happening. And, and I do that 30 times a month. I'm giving $50,000, $60,000 away to help people then getting funded. It takes 10 days, two weeks to get funded on a primary second deal. That's why the new car dealership doesn't want to do these things because they don't want to do a low margin deal. They don't want to pay the high bank fees and they want to be funded immediately like, 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 like they are with good credit and new cars. So that's one thing that we're, we cater and I'm comfortable with. I have enough capital to be able to do these transactions. So, man, I get, I get new car referrals all over the city of New Orleans. When, when the customers say no and they think that people can buy, they say, Bruce, man, can you help my people? And I'll give them like a referral fee. I do about 10 or 12 of those deals a month, you know? Yeah, like you said, what people don't realize is that with a quote-unquote risky customer to a bank, at least that's how the bank perceives it, right? They need to mitigate that risk. And the only way to do that is to lower the type of loan they're putting out. And the only way to do that when someone is capped on state max interest rate is for, you know, Bruce Miller or, you know, Mr. Mrs. Dealer to pay down the actual loan to value so that they're taking less risk and that they can actually do the deal. And so to your point, right, like it's, it's a huge margin hit. And the only way to do it profitably is to do some, you know, significant volume and to specialize in it, right? Which is, that's from my experience, why lots of dealers don't deal with it because it is, it is more work. There's no doubt about it. 
right? But what what are you seeing then on the, what's your average profit like front end, back end, or you know profit on the car said differently, or profit on the ancillary products, the vehicle service contract? What are you seeing like that? When I purchase the car, I add a one thousand dollars to the car, and for the consumer listening to that, that is basically to help me cover all my expenses, regardless of what we make on the car. I'm ashamed to say I have like one hundred sixty thousand dollars of expenses every month. Technicians, salespeople, advertising, marketing—you know—we you know, run like a top-notch organization, and it costs money to have good people and things like that. So, a thousand dollars add to every car. So, this will this will be—I don't make much more than that when I sell the car on the front of the car, three, four hundred, six hundred. Now, I'm making sixteen hundred total, but I'm just telling you the first thousand I, I add is, a, is like an inventory cost, and it's called a pack. That's what we call it in the car business. So. There's 1,600, 1,700 total, counting that pack on the front, and another, you know, 1,600, 1,700 on the back. You know, about 3,200 cars when I make, and that's my gross average, you know? And then how many cars do you have in stock? I have 101 as of this morning, and we sold 56 last month. How are you attracting your customers? Like, what forms of advertising are you using? This is going to confuse a lot of people, okay? When I first opened, I spent $12,000 a month with a digital marketing agency, or independent, right out the gate. I wanted to, I wanted to sell a hundred cars. I've been pursuing trying to sell a hundred cars out this location. I did it for a long time, over a year. And I'm ashamed to say, and I'm scared to say, I stopped spending that 12 grand with that digital marketing company and my sales have not went down. You know, we sell so many customers. I'm very active on Facebook. I'm very active on all the little local forums. I, I post stuff all the time. If you're my friend on social media, you're going to see me on TikTok, LinkedIn, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, and I'm always telling a story about, about my business and about my team. Then I encourage all of my salespeople to use Marketplace to post two personal posts a day. So my team is very engaged on social media and uh, we do really, really well on getting repeat referrals. When you sell people with bad credit, they tell their friends, hey man, my credit was terrible. I went here. And after two years of doing that, most of my traffic, most of my sales are just organic. You know, I sold a ninety-five thousand dollars Escalade, twenty twenty-two Escalade in Arizona. You know, based upon like a car, car guru's listing, we do sell you know cars outside of like the scope of bad credit, and we just we do sell cars outside of the scope of referrals and stuff like that. But the over fifty percent is just my reputation, the dealership's reputation, my salesman's reputation, and how we use social media. Listen, content marketing is extremely powerful. Right. I think <laughs> I think I can attest to that one. But I think as a dealer, like you said, lots of referral business in the subprime business. And from from your position, right, to put out that organic content to document your process, right? Like this is a proven strategy. And so it just takes work. And so the fact that you're saying that that's a huge driver for you, I mean, it makes a ton of sense to me that that's where you're going to be attracting a lot of your customers and retaining them as well. So 21 cars the last five days of October. To sell 21 cars, and the consumer might not understand that, but it takes, it takes, to sell 21 cars, it takes 100 customers to sell 21 cars. And we literally had 100 people in here over five days, no mail sale, no huge ad campaign, just a consistent message, non can, can, can you explain that for anyone listening that's not familiar, right? Like you say it takes 100 customers to sell 21 cars. I understand that. Can you explain that to the audience why you say that? It probably takes a little bit more when you're dealing with subprime because people, you know, like if you typically across the industry, you want to uh, sell two out of every hundred. You get a hundred customers and then 40 come back. 
it's like a map, you know. My a mentor, yeah, somebody it's, it's I, a I funnel. It's training. a funnel. Yeah, somebody I do some training with. It says eight leads, five appointments, three shows, and then one sale. So his he teaches that it takes eight customers to sell one car. So it takes 160 contacts to sell one car. People are shopping. People are looking. People are all over. And you know when you when they're looking for a car, they're looking at a car at five different places at one time, four different places at one time. So you have to be like on your game. You have to be good follow up process. You have to give good information. You can't give them the run around, you know, because you got to take the lead, the customer, the contact, and then make it into an appointment. But then you also have to do things to ensure they show up for the appointment. They say, oh man, I'm coming to your dealership. But they told the other two dealerships that was coming too. And maybe that dealership sent them a little video of the car. Maybe that dealership, you know, worked the deal over the phone a little bit more than we did. It just takes a lot of effort to sell one car. You know, when people show up to the dealership, we sell, it's, a, it's, it's more than uh, 160 to sell 20. When they're here, we sell them a high percentage of time because we work really well with the bad credit banks and we have the cars that work. So if they're coming in and they just need transportation, more often than not, they leave them in a car. Maybe they couldn't afford the payment. Maybe they couldn't get insurance. Maybe they don't, they don't have the right down payment, but we get them approved. And then a lot of, a lot of people come back with that. They, they figured out insurance. They got more down payment or they got a co-signer. But no, it takes, like I said, it takes a lot of customers to sell one car, you know, at least 10, you know, 14, 13, it just, it, a lot of leads that you have to respond to, a lot of messages on Facebook marketplace. I mean, the amount of people you got to talk to to sell one car is a lot of work. What, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions about independent dealers in the market today, right? Independent dealers, dealers, all dealers in general have certain, you know, reputations, obviously, some better than others, some worse than others. But what do you what do you think the, the main misconceptions are about independent dealers? We sell junk. Uh, we're trying to get them. We're we're masking problems and just passing it on to the customers. A bunch of misconceptions. You know, look, in my two years, I've probably bought ten cars back because they broke after the fact. And by the letter That's of the huge, law, yeah. I did not. Have, yeah, I didn't have to buy them back. By the letter of the law. It would fall on that customer 50-50 parts and labor. Uh, they pay, they'd pay 50-50, you know, but I, I bought cars outright back. I bought, I'm not lying, 20 engines and transmissions over two years. That I bought customer's warranty, didn't cover it, whatever, it happened too fast. I spent all this money on, like, like I told you earlier, the, the bank fees. You know, so I, I, do, I do so much, but still some people are unhappy and still you can't please them all. So, but the misconception is that we make money every time we sell a car. That's not the case. You know, they'd be surprised when we lose $5,000 to sell a car, like real money. You know, the misconception is that we sell junk, which, which I have the same kind of inventory. I'm, I'm going to the auction buying from new car dealerships. I'm buying their trades. So I'm buying the same stuff that they sell. Yeah, there's a few misconceptions, but I work tirelessly on social media to dispel all those. And I try to stand by what I, what I preach and I teach my salespeople and managers, look, we're here to help people. I don't hear about how much money you need to make and X, Y, Z. If you help people, we will get where we're trying to be. So we try to be different, you know, so, uh, so far, so good. What do you think about, like, how do you see the future of the independent dealership? I mean, there's a lot going on right now with the economy and, and just, you know, the industry is changing, consolidation, dealers are getting bought up left and right. What do you think about the future for, for the independent dealer? I'm pretty confident that there always will be independent dealers, you know, selling cheaper cars in the franchise world. You know, people will always need transportation. You can rent a house, but you can't rent a car. 
You know, you need, you need to buy a car. There is consolidation, but that's me and the, you know, franchise where new cars, they're big conglomerates are buying up other dealer groups and that's happening. Right now we have one going down in, in the city of New Orleans where uh, somebody has 12 stores and two, two different dealer groups are buying those 12 stores. And so there's only five, six people that you could work for in New Orleans where one's going away. And as now, now, like imagine if you had these two dealer groups that have a combined 30 stores in New Orleans. Imagine if you pissed off one, one of those guys and you pissed off the other guy. You can't get a job at 30 stores. But for the independent world, just on West Bank Expressway, that's the name of the street that my business is on, there's 15 independent dealerships, you know, and there's one popping up all the time. You know, there's, there's plenty of independent dealerships, especially when you get down to the buy here, pay here and tote your note and rent to own, stuff like that. So I think there will always be an independent dealership. I think there will always be a, a, like an alternative to buy used cars. I like to consider myself a used, like new car franchise has a new car and then a used car lot. I consider myself a used car. I really don't consider myself an independent dealer. I'm just, I'm the same thing as you go into the Chevy's used car lot, you know, whatever Chevrolet used car lot or whatever Honda used car lot. I stock the same amount of cars. I have a service department. I have the same banks. I have experienced guys who used to work in those franchise settings. So I think if you have a model like that, you always, you always have a chance to thrive and be around. And I, I think that uh, it'll, can't get rid of that gratch. You know, we'll always be here. Do you think you'll ever get back into the franchise world? No doubt. 100%. I routinely put on LinkedIn telling people, look, let me buy 20% of your store and I'm still operating my usual. I want to be treated as an owner. I'm not looking for a job. I want to be a general manager. And I got I got some bites on that. As I'm going from two used lots to four used lots and I start putting away working capital for myself, 100%. You know, it's not, it's not an if, it's a win. Look, opening a, my own independent used lot or two used lots during a pandemic is one story, right? With the, the with the difficulties, another great story is during a deep recession and things upside down in our car business. I'm opening up two more used car lots. You know, so how do you yeah. explain that? How do you explain that to the listener that's being, you know, that's sitting there saying, "Wait, what? Like, how is that possible to do in this market? Like, what? How do you, how do you explain that?" Well, if you have success, it's duplicatable. You know, like if, if I'm I'm here in this city, people don't understand. But if I opened up a, a used car lot across the street and they did something different. And had the same, and they had different employees and different salespeople with different objective objectives. They would sell thirty cars. You know, it, it, once you have the banking and the structure and the floor plan and the, you can just yeah, open you, up another. Location. Yeah, you have the foundation built already. Yeah, the second location that I'm open for Miller Motors, I'm not hiring any more technicians. I'm not hiring any more back office people. You know, there's certain certain expenses that are just not going to duplicate. So it's the economy of scale. Yeah. You know? Tell me uh, one thing I wanted to ask you earlier on is. Given your background, who taught you about equity? Like what point in life did it hit you? Right? Because you mentioned your, you know, super humble beginnings to, you know, to say the least. And then from there, you know, a decade or a decade and a half later, you're getting an equity stake at a dealership as a managing partner. And I find that many people that start in the car business but don't grow in the car business, they don't understand the power of equity, the power of compounding and all that. So like, how did you learn about that, given given where you came from? So, no, I learned it from watching others in the business, seeing things unfold. And I just had this unwavering belief at a very young age, 25 years old, that I'm on my own new car franchise. And belief is like, uh, when you believe something, there's a lot of people that's going to try to talk you out of that. A lot of people that's going to try to, like, tell you you're stupid or why do you believe that? But that belief was so strong. It's like, it was like the sun that my universe revolved around. You know, that was it. So... 
So obviously, if that's my goal to own a new car dealership, I have to pay attention to when I hear things are sold, I hear, hear conversations. And um, when I was in the franchise world, this is like, you know, crazy store, not crazy, but at that Chevrolet store, we opened up three satellite use car lots. How many people across the country have new car franchises that open satellite use car lots? We sold 225 used cars a month at a, just a regular franchise Chevy store, a high of 300, you know? And so I negotiated all those leases. This is how, this is how it would work. I would contact the people, negotiate everything, and I'd get up in my general manager's office like, hey, look, let's do this. But I had it all worked out, all the detail. Then when I went to this, this organization called Ray Brand, and I was the vice president of operations for six stores, one of the stores had no frontage, and I got another used car lot. I bought a guy's used car lot, actually hired him to be the German manager of the, of the franchise. You know, so I, ne- I could negotiate that. And then the, the last deal, I did another used car lot for the last deal when I was the managing partner. So I had negotiated six or seven transactions. I had um, sat down being recruited away and dealing with Murray Brand, God bless his soul. When he died, worth $750 million. I worked for the Benson organization, you know, just, just a, a few, Tom Benson and Gail Benson, and they own the Saints of Pelicans and, you know, I had conversations with them. And then I was recruited away by Donnie Bone and the Bones. They're like legends in the car business in New Orleans. So I look up one day and I'm like, wait a second. I'm one hell of a negotiator. I've sat down with billionaires, you know, basically and negotiated pay plans and things like that. So that's how, like when I bought the, the percentage at GNC, I was already prepared for that. You know, when I opened Miller Motors and I got some investors, I was already prepared for that. And so it's just like, a, you have a dream and you go through your life and you everything you're doing is, it's backed up by that dream. You know, I'm working 13 hours today because I want to own, own new party show one day. I'm putting up with the BS because you put up a lot of BS when you work for other people because I need this experience because I want to own my own leadership one day. On and on and on, once you have a strong belief, everything in your life kind of revolves around that. And like I said, I've learned about the equity watching others, but then I also negotiate a lot of stuff. When it comes to the leadership and equity and percentages and things like that, I consider myself, the knowledge that, that I gain as good as anybody else's. And I, and I learned it just from being in the car business. Nobody else taught me. I think just my high level thoughts, it's a super impressive to see how you, how, what you've done for yourself, how far you've come, just, you know, being persistent and definitely gotten knocked down a lot in many different situations, but just not letting it put you down and continuing to push forward and finding solutions and staying positive. So it's a super, super admirable, man. Seriously, like congrats on congrats on what you've done. And I'm sure you're going to do a lot of a lot of other great things. Really appreciate your transparency. You know, you can tell that you're just like a straight shooter. You keep it real, which is which is another reason I'm sure why you've been so successful. Any final thoughts, anything I didn't ask you that you want to share with the audience? Uh, no, I mean, great podcast. Like I said, I just I, I want to offer like. Literally, if I can do it. Whatever I'm doing, because let me preface this by saying there's many, many, many people way more successful than me. There's just regular general managers at dealership that, that are making a million dollars a year. There's many people who are way more successful than me. So I'm just telling my level of success. So if you, you're looking at me and saying, man, I'm not as successful as him. How did he get there? If I could do it, anybody could do it. Any catchphrase or keyword that would hinder your life or a statistic, I've experienced it all. High school dropout, my dad committed suicide, alcoholic parents, drug addiction parents, divorce, cancer, terminal cancer, Katrina, cash for clunkers, DM's bankruptcy, pandemic, you know, recession, 
and I'm still here. And, I, and, I, and I've made it through all of that with a mentality, a catchphrase that a year, few years ago, somebody said, hey, bro, there were some memes going around that says, if this was a person, like a, a picture of an ugly person. If ugly was a person, this is, this is, this is what it'd be. Somebody sent me a, they took one of our pictures on Facebook and they said, if all gas, no brakes was a person. And like, that all gas, no brakes mentality is like, you pray for something, you plan for something, and when the door opens, you gotta jump through the door. You can't be, like, you pray for this. You plan for this. So when certain doors open in my life, I, I, I easily recognize that, okay, that's me. I don't put a whole lot of thought into like, trying to talk myself out of it. We all talk ourselves out of it. We all live in so much fear. 90% of like, 95% of like, whatever you fear never even comes true. And we have, we do that in business transactions. There's not many people that want to turn down a $400,000 a year job with three kids in private school to go make $10,000 because they believe that this was the path that they were supposed to be on, you know? And so, man, stop being afraid. Approach life with all gas, no brakes mentality. Try to, like, if you believe in this, if you believe something, then you need to really believe it. Because God is going to send things in your path. The door is going to open up. And if you don't jump through those doors, then that was it. That was your chance. You know what I'm saying? So all gas, no brakes, like, you know, Miller Motors. I'm in New Orleans, Louisiana. You can contact me personally. I can help you with a pre-owned vehicle. Uh, how, where, where, where can people get in touch with you? I, you can call me on my cell phone. I don't, I don't, I answer my phone all the time. 504-615-9297. If you're in the business and you want help, you want to see how to get from salesperson. Cause I excelled in every spot in the variable operation. I was a salesperson a year. I was a 23 year old finance manager. I ran the best numbers. I was a young sales, sales manager, young new car manager, huge car director. For a period of time, I was a fleet manager in between jobs. I sold 20 cars a month as a fleet manager. I excelled in every spot in the variable operation. So if I can help you, I freely would, would take, take a phone call and, and, and offer help. If you're in New Orleans, you want to buy a car, come see me. You want to sell your car, come see me. But if you're in the automobile business, reach out to me. And like, like I said, I love, I love talking about the car. Bruce Miller, thanks for coming on the pod. Thank you, man. I enjoyed it. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating. Consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.